This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Chicago. This is the Chavrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. And I'm Kalman Warch. Kalman, obviously, with Hanukkah on its way, uh, visions our children must have of uh, Hanukkiot lighting their faces pressed not too close to the fire, and the chance to get involved in some uh, dreidel playing. Uh, you know, there's been, you know, one of the Sfarim that you are. Uh, of course, you're the translator of Bnei Yisrael. I think Bnei Yisrael famously uh, describes uh, how this minag of dreidel playing uh, has its roots in some uh, in kedusha. But I think, uh, from where I'm looking at it, I would say that Hanukkah was a uh, a, a period that the Rabbanan turned their eyes away and allowed games of chance to happen. Uh, we know that, uh, especially as the Middle Ages waned and the uh, Renaissance period began, that the idea of being able to make money, the idea to be able to to incredibly change your circumstances by traveling to a, a place where games of chance, dice, and other things were being held, cards and dice and other sorts of ways, and uh, you were able to somehow go from Ephes to uh, to 100, it, it, it hopped these uh, downtrodden Jews, and there was a gambling mania and addiction. We see that in the, in the, in the postgame when they speak about uh, families that were either that were ruined by this type of addiction. And the postcom are t- always talking about the cluffim and the the card mania of, of playing cards for for money, and we know from the Chubas Marie Bruna and other places that there was takonis that were made to limit gambling to either Chalamoyed and Hanukkah, and I think from that period on there was a a sense that Hanukkah was a time that we allowed this type of gambling. And I, again, the kids, I believe, sort of picked up on that and uh, they got involved in their own little gambling. But gambling was something that was part of, uh, of, of Hanukkah. In fact, there's a Chubas Marie Brona Kalman that actually uh, the Shiloh was that the Takana was it had to happen during Hanukkah. And this was a game that began sometime early the eighth day of Hanukkah. And there was a Shiloh whether they can continue the game into after Zeis Hanukkah, because and they declared a Shiloh, do we go Basar Haschola or do we go Basar Seif? So you see, it's actual how uh, invest. Even though the, the people were getting lost, as you said, in this mania, we should remember that most of the people who were getting lost in these were people who were acting in desperation. Right? These were people who didn't know how they could make that extra money and all that. Which and so they figured they could. Everyone thinks they could do the quick solution and solve their problems in a in a moment's um, in a moment's wager. So I, I think that's important to note. But yeah, you, you're right that it became something that almost became associated with Hanukkah. 
I do want to separate, though, between what the adults are doing and what the children are doing. And I don't think you meant this. I just want to clarify. It's not that the children picked up on this bad habit. The, what the children are doing is much e- more easily able to be connected to the spiritual aspect of gambling and the, and the Kedusha, the holiness that may be contained with an idea, which maybe we can talk a little bit about later. But, um, but nevertheless, I do think that the idea of, of these kinds of games became associated with Hanukkah, whether for adults or children. Yeah, and, and, and I think that there's a resonance this year uh, because of an article that appeared, I think, just the other day in the Wall Street Journal um, that was highlighting uh, sort of a, <laughs> the, the author made it seem as if there's uh, an issue, that there's somehow there's a debate among the Jews now about a, a hero, a gambler hero, uh, Gershon Distenfeld, who won the World Series of Poker. You know, and the World Series, because I guess it has players from all over the world. And of course, where does it take place? Vegas, right? And uh, where else could the World Series of Poker take place? The greatest gambling place in the world. And here we have a, a from person, a person who's Shemar Taylor Mitzvahs. Um, he won. And amazingly, Kalman, uh, he, this, again, it was uh, the, the $200,000, I guess, he won out of the million dollars uh, that was on the pot. It was a million dollars in the pot. I, I'm sure the television rights uh, on ESPN were a lot more than that. I'm sure there were a lot of people watching it. And he took, I believe, $200,000 from what he won, and he divided it into a number of uh as as you pointed out when we were before we started recording, quite a number of interesting stalkers. Uh Many of them, what we would call regular stalkers that we would give to, like Yad Leia, uh, which uh, helps people get clothing, uh, and the Rofei Chaylam uh, Cancer Society, which I assume helps Jews and non-Jews, and Leket, which... Uh, we've talked about weddings and excesses and weddings and other places. They actually go around and make sure that at these meals where um, so many, uh, these lavish meals that the leftovers get packaged and put in a way that they can be recycled to help feed people who are, who are big Nitzrochem. But besides that, uh, he gave to some other places, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Iron Mike Youth Foundation, right, the, which, uh, Obviously, as uh, by as started by Iron Mike, uh, the, the the idea of uh, of giving to organizations that everyone would would recognize, and he understands that there is a need for that in this case as well. And and it was what's also incredible, of course, that Distenfeld, when everyone was amazed, you know, that he was going to take his winnings and donate it all to Tzedakah, he said he believes this is what all the players, any of the players that make it to that table, that last table of the, the World Series, they should they should take on a Kabbalah. We're gonna we're making money off gambling. Uh, uh, let's give money to Tzedakah. and this is what he was pushing. So, uh, on one level, I guess you would say that this is a great Jewish story, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody, uh, a teenage guy who uh, uh, is is now the the king of the poker world. But he's also the king of of tzedakah, and this is should this be something that we are 
um, heralding, trumpeting, indicating this is up. This is our type of gambler. Uh, yeah, and it, it does seem like uh, this article that you uh, um, are pointing out, it does seem like the article's intention is to um, describe him as a hero. And I, I think it, it's a fair suggestion that if someone is, uh, you know, in, involved in this kind of, and instead of taking all that money and using it for himself, you know, he's, he, he has a, he has a day job. Th- this, this money goes to Tsudaka goes to charity. Um, and it's, it's great in one way that he's giving this much money to charity, but also he's showing, showing the world that this isn't, for him, something he's doing for the money, but something he's doing in order to to benefit the greater good of society. So um, it seems like the article is justified in in um, describing him as a um, a, a person who's uh, someone we can look up to. Right, but as you know, uh, as the Wall Street Journal points out, um, a number from a, a number of voices have wondered. Should we be uh, pointing to this as a, a hero of ours? Uh, at the end of the day, it was through uh, gambling that uh, this money was made. Uh, not just uh, this is more than just a little dreidel play. This is talking about something that took uh, you know months and months and maybe years of of involvement and in terms of strategy. Uh, and let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah. This is this is taking money from people uh, who are putting money on the table. We know, of course, the you know Chazal do not have a great respect for people who do this, right? Chazal apostle them laedus if they are professional gamblers. Uh, right. well, I do want to point out the the uh, um, idolize that the first thought that comes if it's the first time you're hearing something, if it's the first reaction. Even someone who's a well-thought-out person, you can't in an instant come up with your conclusions. So very often, sort of that first initial reaction will, will miss everything. Not always, but sometimes that sort of, and sometimes, of course, you, you hear when you put out the question, you know, you spend 10 hours preparing and then someone in five seconds throws out your answer, right? That, that works the other way too. But, but, but sometimes I think what happens here, and I think that is what happened here, is that sometimes you have people who are project present themselves as if they're well thought out people and people who have who have um, you know great scholarly understanding of subjects, but really they're just I don't want to say shooting from the hip, but I think they're they're just going with that sort of just surface level understanding and they don't look deeper. So yeah, our sages our sages said and. And you're, you're quoting the person who said this. Our sages said that someone who is Masachik Bekuvia, someone who gambles, is disqualified from testimony. So, yeah, I think the gut reaction of everyone would go, well, here's a person who plays dice, um, and that's it. They're disqualified. It's a bad thing. But you and I both know that that, that rule is much more complicated than the simple, um, if you play with dice, then you're disqualified. It's a much more nuanced halacha. It's a much more nuanced concept. Here, where people who have commented negatively about Gershon, uh, don't, you're saying they're uh, in terms of not understanding what is the idea of Masach B'Kubi Eidus mean? Um, and I guess the way I would say the Amaratzis is, is that there's a difference between a private very private game that you get sucked into. And uh, Chazal understood that 
the people really don't want to give up their winnings. The Chazal understood that, uh, or the monies that they're putting up to get the winnings is a better way to say it. Right. And that the idea of asmachta lekanya, that a person uh, has incredible uh, confidence that he isn't going to lose and he really doesn't want to give it up and he has this this fantasy. And, and, and even though the money gets uh, handed over, there still isn't, it's not handed over willfully. This psychological insight Chazal had, and that was one of them, is probably not true in the World Series of Poker. In the World Series of Poker, because of the nature of it, because of the fact that it is this, you know, established type of uh, game, every person there, although they expect to win, realizes that there are championship level players that they're playing against, and they know that this is a calculated risk that they're taking, and they fully understand what that risk means. So I think the the getter of the Gemara and Sanhedrin of Asmachta Lekanya. I don't believe applies. So the idea of them being sort of like Ganovim is definitely not true. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. Let me back. You need to understand that the whole concept of looking at gambling as a negative thing is not because of the act of gambling. You can play a game with your kids over over poker chips, you know, blue, red, and yellow, and you're not gambling. The kids don't like to lose their chips, but they don't feel the, the way. What it comes down to is the unhealthiness of the place where people are are putting their their the deed to their house on the line um uh, for a roll of the dice it's that unhealthy space which is which is that place that our sages knew take you out of the realm of of a normal society and make you unable to function within society okay and so, so i have to agree with you that in this case it certainly doesn't qualify for that Right, so that's really the second where I was going with the second uh, expression the Talmud uses, which is "Eno biyishuvo shel olam," and uh, I think you said it very nicely, Kalman, that "Eno biyishuvo shel olam" might make sense for the person who is so addicted in his gambling habits that he doesn't really spend time <laughs> with his family at all. He's completely uh, obsessed, and he's willing to take such such rash actions in order to preserve his winnings or to hope that he's going to win, that he could shatter uh, the normal uh, structure of his life that everybody else works so hard to build on. And that's why that person is Pasala Edus, because his perspective of things is so skewed, because he sees things in this radical, rash way, the same way we, when we look at someone who is so bleary-eyed, standing at the one-armed bandit, and you, you have to drag them away because, no, no, this means everything to them. When, when such a person tells you that Mo stuck a, a knife into Larry, you can't be sure what he's saying. He's, 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 he comes from a different planet because that's what Chazal understood gambling can do. That doesn't seem to be necessarily the case here by Gershon. Although, you know, let, let's, let's, let's maybe argue in this way. I, I sort of feel, Kalman, that there might be something about uh, not necessarily running a uh, an article, I guess, in the Jewish weekly Ami or Mishpacha, highlighting him as someone that we all should look up to uh, for what he's done. I sort of feel that my my friend who runs this blog sphere has has an element here uh, that good. I, I am not going to condemn him, but I, I definitely don't think that I'm ready. Uh, to place him as one of the great Balei Tzedakah 
uh, of Qual Yisrael, despite the fact that he did, because I, I do think there is a problem in because uh, most people don't get that nuance. Most people don't get it. Um, the truth is, is that despite the fact that he gave everything to Tzedakah, um there was, you know, it, it was somewhat of a seedy atmosphere. At least that's so I could sort of feel that maybe he's right as far as that goes. I don't agree with him that we consider him like a Ganif or Enoba Yeshuva Shalom, but I'd rather this be something that went under the radar than above the radar. I think that in, in, I think in this case, I think this was actually a fair today. I think this this is this is exactly the kind of hero that we need. I think we need the person who 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 maybe isn't okay. So we've got the Gadol and we've got the great Sadiqim, and of course they're always our heroes, um, and, and we should try to be like them. But sometimes we have to look at a a a someone who's just in the regular world and watch them make little kiddush Hashem's as to to make people who are. To, to inspire other people who are in the business world, other people who are in um, in mundane areas of 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 um, society, uh, to see the hero come out of that, to see a person give away his entire winnings. Again, he's got a, he's got a day job, but but he gave away his entire winnings to different charities. That's something which people look at and say, well, how can I do something great like that? I think this is something that we should promote. Again, if he's doing something bad, absolutely, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. I, I'm going to agree with you. But in this case, we have to be nuanced. We have to be able to tell people there's a difference between, and maybe we should talk about that, but there's a difference between you know, your, your weekly poker game, which may be a problem uh, or not. Let's talk about that. But, but this, this is not that. And this is something that people need to look at and see how selfless and, and uh, heroic someone can be. Yeah, of, of course. But the way you get there is probably... Uh, by joining your weekly, weekly poker game. I don't know if this is something that you uh, watch videos on YouTube and then you sort of like simulate playing. I think you really need to be, uh, you need to be in the back room with the smoke going and you have to know how to bet, how to bluff, how to do stuff under pressure. I think the way you become a Gershon Distenfeld is probably by playing uh, a heck of a lot of poker before you're ready uh, to get up there. And so maybe we should go right there. I mean, are, are you suggesting that the whole process of getting because even even your local your local weekly poker game can also you can divide between the games where everyone gets together, everyone throws let's say fifty bucks into into the pot, and 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 that's what you're that's what you're working with. I, I, that's also going to be very different than when people show up at the table with hundreds of dollars because they're going to um, boost their monthly earnings by winning at poker where now their financial situation is linked in with how much they're going to win or lose in tonight's game. I think there you you may be right because then maybe not everyone in the group, but certainly some of the people in the group are only there because they plan on winning and you run into Geneva and Asmachta and all that. But I mean, maybe, maybe someone should ask him, you know, how did you, where did you practice? But I don't think it's necessarily um, true that it must be that he went through a process that involves maybe it was more of a of a gentle fun. I mean, is, are you? Maybe it's true. Maybe you can't learn unless you're really involved in these serious things with people. I don't know. Is that the case? Uh, my, my feeling is is that 
you know, the World Series of Poker exists based on the ugly series of poker that goes on in all the back rooms. Of course, there is this elevated ESPN, you know, uh, sense of these, but they all, I think, uh, push themselves through. And uh, I don't know if that process where I mean, there are people smarter than me in an economic sense that will probably say, well, you know, a, a, a hedge fund manager, a person who knows how to do proper investments in the stock market is also in a way a, a professional gambler. They're, they're sort of reading the situation, deciding what could work, what can't work. The idea of flipping homes and other things is also in a way, uh, a, a, a sense of gambling. It isn't, you know, I, I could have argued you and said, you know, in the, mid, in the early end of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, people had nothing. Gambling was their only way out. Today, there's ways you could actually, universities are open. We can become doctors, lawyers, plumbers, and other things. And those are ways that Jews and other people can actually be of Shalom. As opposed to gambling, which, as you said before, is always this erratic, wild possibilities that get your mind in a different space, right? So one could really say that what do we need gambling for? Like, but I, I think, as as I've just pointed out, there's people that will say that uh, investments that lawyers and doctors make, because most of the time the money that they earn in today's world isn't enough to pay for five kids in yeshiva, right? It's not enough that they, they're able to send them all to camp and have a nice home. They need to take the earnings that they have and not just put it in a bank and earn no interest. They have to give it into the hands of some sort of hedge fund manager who really gambles with their money, right? So there, in a way, there's sort of a lot of gambling going on, but I think that gambling is somewhat austere. It's somewhat dignified. I know if you go, if you it, go, it's, it's within yeshuva shalola, meaning it's within functional society, as opposed to the the uh, the third floor beneath you know sub basement um, poker game, where where it's not within. I'll tell you though, I've seen um, video of the New York Stock Exchange. I've seen video of the uh, 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 in Chicago. The way you know what they when they stand on the floor and they're screaming and they're and each one is trying to to hop a ride. That is, if people understood the type of ribald energy that's on display there, they wouldn't necessarily consider it, you know, so genteel. The, the truth is, the, the people, the the brokers and the dealers, they make money. It's almost as 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 a wild of a of, of an atmosphere as you have in in a poker game. But um... I mean, yeah, the, the the idea of of the stock exchange people behaving in there like they would behave in a casino I, I think that's a it's not a far off comparison but nevertheless the casino is seen as stepping out of life and this is seen and and, and it's perception that actually drives in this case the halacha because it's all based on whether you can associate and connect to functional society or in order for you to function you have to step out of um you know understanding what's happening in society and yeah, if I, if I may, I would even suggest, you know, going back to the to this point about Hanukkah, that since we do see that, as you pointed out, that our rabbis sort of limited and said, you know what, let's keep any desire for gambling to these specific times. And I would say maybe from a Hasidic perspective, maybe they sanctified and elevated it 
into connected to these holy times. The, the playing of the dreidel is is a is shows us that there's a kedusha and that everything has good in it, and that we can elevate even this. If I may, I would say that this individual, this uh, Gershon, he is, if anything, sanctifying the process and making a kiddush Hashem out of it. And so, if anything, let's let's uh, let's laud him for showing us that this kind of um, attribute can be channeled towards the good. Well, again, with that, no, nobody is taking any, uh, no one is taking tzedakah organizations uh, that are getting money, Leket and Yagleya. We know, they're not refusing uh, Gershon's check, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Where should they? Yeah, right. And and I, I, I guess if, if, the sub, if what um, our friend in the blog space was trying to suggest that maybe these institutions shouldn't take that money. I think that they're going to have a hard time uh, justifying taking the money from all the nursing home owners that uh, that are pumping money all over the place. I mean, we know the well, type. What of- people do in the pri- in their the privacy of their own home, I don't think that should affect it. We're talking here. I mean, he's saying that the, this money officially. A business okay. is a business. It's so, where so, it officially comes. From, right? So, what do you say? I mean, I've said my subtle difference. The, between you, I, I I would I would not have pushed Gershon Disenfeld as a hero for my kids. Um, and yeah, you I, said, and I, you said I, yes. I, but now, now, what would you say about taking the money? You believe that taking the money uh, here might be a little bit different than taking money from nursing home owners that are involved in sort of shady um, uh, Medicare like Medicare stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not. There are all kinds of industries. And within each industry, you have the kosher people, you have the non-kosher people. And who are we to know? We don't know. We don't know. We, we have the people say, oh, that person probably, probably, probably doesn't work. But yes, this person, this individual who is, you know, professionally playing poker, um, he's, he's not a masachik bekuvia. His money is kosher. What he's doing is kosher. And again, we're not going to make a gedolim. Um, book for him. He's not going to be the Godel Hadar, but for people should learn this and realize and recognize that there are people who, you know, even small people can make a Kiddush Hashem, and we should praise him for it. And certainly, certainly, the money is not in question. In, in terms of other industries, so again, there's a concept of of Dan, you have to judge people favorably. On the other hand, if we know, if we know, and sometimes we do know, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the rabbi can have personal knowledge. So then, you know, there's a... There, there but we know a... certain industries, Kalman, are rife with problems. And the, and the nursing home industry is one of them. And I would say with Mechash Mivoy, you know, people uh, like... The, the people... The... If if you know, you know. But to say that I should be concerned in case, there's no reason to be choshed anyone. There's no reason to suspect someone. In terms of Hilchah Sadaka, we're not talking about whether you should go into business with them. In terms of accepting the money, a yid gives you money. If you know it's not kosher money, then don't take it. But if you don't know to assume, but anyway, I, I think that... Look, this has, I, been, this has been an issue in Chicago way beyond, way before the nursing homeowners, of course. This was an issue in the 30s, 20s and 30s where so much of the, the shoals and other institutions were being funded by the bootleggers and by the Jewish gangsters as well. Right, but the difference between mobsters who openly will tell you that they had this guy offed all right, which which is different than you know what someone is doing. Right, the nursing home is the opposite. This guy that's off is still alive. 
<laughs> right? The mobster got rid of the guy, and we don't know where he is. The nursing was, oh, yeah, he's still alive for the last 25 years, and we've been cashing his Social Security check. <laughs> In some cases. And, and also, and also, within each of those industries, example of the, the daughter of Nagdima Ben-Gurion, who said that, you know, kosher money got mixed with non-kosher money, and that's what ruined their family business. I, you know, Common, let me ask you, let me ask you about something else. You know, as we as we wind up here, uh, you know, we call it it's called the World Series of Poker. But, you know, that's just a way really to dress it up. Um, you know, this and it's true, there is mental acuity that's needed to be good at it. But we have a history of especially in the United States of lionizing our sports figures, the Jewish sports figures, especially meant a lot. Uh, to Jews in the 20th century, people like Hank Greenberg, Sandy Koufax, of course. None of these men were, were Shemer Mitzvahs, but the fact that Sandy refused to play on Yom Kippur, uh, you know, it's, it's entered the, the Jewish Hall of Fame because he refused and he was doing Shemer on Mitzvahs. Um, would you say that we should maybe look at, Jew, uh, you know, people who are involved in what we call the real athletic football, basketball, baseball, and try to bring them as to as uh, role models for our children. Right. So, although this guy's not an athlete in that sense, but I, I think what you the way you said it actually uh, answers the question: how many how many Jews didn't attend a business meeting or 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 play in a game or attend some event because? They learned as a kid that Sandy Koufax wouldn't pitch on Yom Kippur. Thousands, I'm sure, that somehow it became implanted in their head. You don't do these things on Yom Kippur. Why? Because they kept hearing over and over again, Sandy Koufax won't pitch on Yom Kippur. So you see that it is an inspiration. I think that, yeah, I wouldn't make him one of the Gedoli Hadar, but I do think it's important because our kids are already idolizing these people. For some reason, our society turns people who are good at um, you know, physical maneuvers into heroes. So that's the, that's the reality. So if that's the reality, I think we should channel that into a positive thing. And let's find, let's find some good within, but obviously not to replace the real heroes in the world. But I think in this case, I think it's important for, for, for us to tell people and maybe even to teach our children that there are people out there in the world who, even though they are in society and deeply immersed in society, they don't forget that there is a, a Boreolam and that they're meant to serve him. You know, I, I think that there's always been a there's always been a discomfiture in the Haredi world to ever turn to sports figures as anything positive. They've they've they fought this battle of keeping the kids off of you know getting them in from recess on the playgrounds and uh, constantly ridiculing kids that were involved in sports and sports um, uh, minutia and details. You know, my my feeling is, is that the more they hear this negative pitch against the professional players, uh, the more they're called the misyavnim of today. These are the avonim. These are the ones that are going to the gym. I think that it's going to sound so hollow in people's mind. And that what needs to be done is really, as you say, discovering and if we can't find it in the Jewish world, we we need to realize that the, the sports achievements, as you say, how their body moves, is something that's being uh, thrown on screens everywhere in slow motion. 
And there obviously is a lot of work that went into it to allow something to become a professional athlete. I think we have to throw in the towel on this and probably try to at least encourage, because it isn't gambling. They, they're getting paid a salary uh, to run with a football or to shoot a basketball. I, I, I think that we probably are losing our kids if we don't find some sports heroes to emphasize uh, to them. I think it, uh, otherwise, you know, we seem so disconnected. You know, if, if a person, if a Rebbe's uh, attitude is, oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, I'm not into sports. Oh, you know, you, okay, you, you, like, you know, a, a Rebbe who hears kids around the Hanukkah time talking about, you know, what LeBron is doing or what's happening in the NBA or uh, did they catch the game? I think the condemnation of sports in that way probably does more to alienate young people from Torah than uh, <laughs> than, in, yeah. than finding them out. Maybe we should have this as a as a, a separate discussion. A Rebbe doesn't have to be into sports as long as he's got some other way of connecting to kids. I don't think we necessarily need that the Rebbe should uh, should know how many points or how many three point shots Stephen Stephen Curry um, you know hit last night. Um, but but he shouldn't be dismissive of their interest in it. That's my point. I think what happens is is that that dismissiveness is the message that's being said that lack of connection. And I and, and I and, and I again I, I don't think that's necessarily the case here when it comes well, to poker. I think, I think if I may, that's a very big gamble. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you what, Common, I'm always ready uh, to meet whatever you have and to raise you on that. And uh, look. You know, I know I don't bluff. You're up and you know what? I never bluff, Colin. I always put exactly, you know, exactly where I'm coming from. Well, take care, my friends. We'll catch you again. Next week. All right. Keep your cards. Hold them very close to your chest. You don't want you never know who's going to be looking over. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.